Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 118, and on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Tony Peterson of Meat Eater and the Wire to Hunt Podcast. Tony is an extremely successful hunter, author, and on multiple podcasts. Pumped to have Tony on to answer some questions from our listeners and ones that Dimitri and I had penned up about out-of-state hunting, whitetail tactics, scenarios, and much more. We're excited to bring this one to you all, so enjoy this episode, and thanks again for tuning in. Antler up. Awesome. We have we have some people on saying evening, everybody. That's awesome. So technically, Tony, we're, we are actually live. Um, we got a handful of, of people. Um, this has like a call-in feature. It has a chat feature. Uh, so we, we run this program on Bullhorn, and uh, I have... I, I put on Instagram the other day, and was it on Monday? And then a little bit earlier this evening, I just said, "Hey, we have we have Tony on. If you had, anybody has questions, so I wrote a couple down. But honestly, man, we kind of just we shoot from the hip. We just like talking hunting. And if there's anything that you want to get off your chest or anything like that, you go for it, man. So it's a it's one of those type of you know podcasts. We're not uh, by the book, I guess you could say, and just we're just we love talk hunting and learning and having uh, that education feature for not only us, but others, individuals as well. I love it, man. Well, awesome, man. Well, I, you know, I, I don't think you really need an introduction. I mean, Tony, <laughs> Tony Peterson, you know, been doing it for, for a very long time, you know, wired to hunt doing the foundations podcast, which was phenomenal this past year. I thank I, you. Not only did I think it helped me, it, I'm sure it helped thousands of, of individuals. And it's just, it's also like a reassuring thing for people that I you know, maybe that you're, you've been doing it a long time and it's like, oh yeah, maybe I've, 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 you know, haven't been worrying about staging areas as much and, you know, just different things like that. And I, it really, it was awesome. And I hope you kind of continue to build off of that. And, uh, there's plans like that in the future. Uh, there are, Sweet. yeah, there, <laughs> you will definitely get foundations for one more year. Yeah. And then I told them they will not get me to do that anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're, <clears throat> that, that's a fun project. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I know they're short episodes, but it's a pretty heavy lift for writing them. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's a different kind of podcast than I've ever done before. Right. And two years is going to be my max. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to have anything yeah. left to say yep. and it'll be, it'll be over, but I, I do enjoy it. And the response has been weird. Like the response has been really good. And I, and it's just been fun. Like it, yeah. people just seem to, they just seem to like it and gives them some ideas. And I, I don't know. It's, it's a cool project, I guess. Yeah. Even like last week's about like, you know, do you need a new bow? Like right now, like we are going on, on a, a new adventure with PSE this upcoming season. And, you know, and like Dimitri, you went with the drive NXT, which has been, you know, out for two, I believe years. Our buddy Jim uh, is running the, um, last year's evl 32 like he didn't get a new bow and i went with the 30 their their brand new evo xf 30 this year so like that's a new bow but you know it's just it's fascinating to to just see that type of things and it's just it doesn't necessarily mean a bow but you know do you need new climbing sticks do you need it you know it, it was just a fun listen to and you know like you said there's only so much that i think you could probably pile into the foundations podcast in two years so no that's well, good you know some of that stuff comes from the, the new bow thing, <clears throat> you know, you get asked about that mm -hmm. all the time. You know, if I do a deer seminar, you know, it, it, immediately, what kind of broadheads do you shoot? Yeah. What, you know, what's the best bow out there? And, you know, we, the, the hunting industry is weird, man. Like we've, 
uh, my job is to sell you stuff, right? right? Like part of my job is to like make you want to go buy stuff. But I also just look at this and go, you know, like my, my job is to help people try to kill deer and they're not going to buy that much stuff that's going to help them. You know, like that's the dirty little secret, you know, like a bow could, if you need it, like could certainly help you. Yeah. And there's some stuff, but there's like, you're always towing that line. Cause you don't like, I want people to like understand whitetails and love them or elk or whatever. And like learn about these animals and learn about this process. And then some of these purchases you make will help you level up. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, if you get good with a saddle, you get good with some of this stuff, it's going to make you better. Like you're going to, you're going to be better and have more options but people come into it and they just like so often just what can I buy <laughs> that's going to get me to kill something? Yeah. And it's like, it's never that simple. Well, that's what I even think of my, my dad's friend this year. He, he shot a really nice 10 point on public ground and he's still using aluminum arrows, right? You know, he probably has a bow that's probably 30, 40 years old, if, if you know, and using aluminum arrows and, you know, stuck that deer, he ran 40 yards, dropped over in sight, and, you know, there you go, right? You know, didn't need the latest and greatest. But stories like that, I think, kind of keep us in check with, with gear and, and, you know, what we're, what we need and what we don't need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of that is, you know, we, we go retro a lot, right? Like we're in, <clears throat> we're in a heavy phase now, like a heavy arrow phase and it's like we've gone through this yeah. 10 times you know like <laughs> the ever you know saddles are the craziest thing ever i'm like you guys know we had saddles 20 years ago 25 years like they're better now but we go in these and then you just realize yeah like this stuff just works like it, it you know deer uh, even a huge deer is like what 16 inches wide 18 inches wide maybe you know like it's not that hard to get through them so if you're using something you're confident with like you're gonna be fine yeah no, that's awesome. Well, I want to ask you this, Tony. Have you ever hunted PA? I haven't. Uh, Let's go, man. <laughs> you know, I, I, people all the time, people yeah. are like, yeah. why don't you come to Louisiana? Why don't you come to Pennsylvania? Yep. And for me, it's just a matter of logistics and time. Yeah. You know, like I'd, I'd hunt PA. I mean, I have a bunch of buddies out there. I, I, I you know, I would hunt it in a heartbeat but I got to drive so far <laughs> and you, you know what I mean? You get yeah. so much time and you're like, should I go all the way out to PA and hunt public land bucks? Or I can drive a quarter of the distance and be in like five different States. that will sell me a tag, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's very understandable. If you were to hunt though, do you have a, a spot where you would kind of, kind of focus on? You know, I, this, and this is just purely me being in love with an idea. Yeah. I, you know, I know Bo Martonic and some of these guys are, they're really targeting the mountain bucks. And I just love that idea. Mm-hmm. Like I like big woods, the challenge right now. And, you know, if I was going to go someplace like that, I would want it to be something I can't have at home. Right. So even, you know what I mean? Like that's one of the reasons why, you know, I love Western North Dakota. Like it's so different than what I have close to my house that it's just like, if I'm going to go there, I could hunt parts of that state that are like what I hunt, or I can go there and hunt something vastly different. And I just, I love that part of travel. Like I don't, you know, when I, when I look at stuff like that, like if I was looking at PA, I wouldn't be like, where's the top County for Boone and Crockett entry. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I, you know, I just want to go someplace cool. Yeah. We had that, uh, my, I, I mentioned my buddy Jim earlier, uh, and our good friend, Tom, uh, he, he's gone out, our buddy, Tom, he's gone out West, done DIY and, and Colorado mule deer and been successful all by himself and, uh, elk hunting and stuff. And 
so the three of us went out to Delaware this past year and it's flat as a board and totally new challenge for us. And we went early season, like our, his goal, Tom's goal was like, Hey, I want to go after like a velvet whitetail. You know, this is the closest thing to us to that. And, uh, season opens early and we're like, all right, what the heck, let's go give it a shot for a couple of days. And it kicked my butt just because it's so, it is, it's vastly different. You know, I'm kind of, I've, never hunted in my life a field edge and here i am like outside of a alfalfa field a bean field and i'm trying to like re-listen to certain podcasts that you know that i never would i kind of pass through because it doesn't apply to me in a sense so i'm like crap i gotta listen to this how how, how did they manage it in this so yeah it was definitely different and, and challenging and not that i want to go back but i do want to go back just because it's like okay what did i what would i take away and talk to other friends that tried it out because man we had some cameras of uh, of some friends and family of ours, of mine, that live in that area. And, I mean, they would give uh, Iowa a run for their money. I mean, it's gross. <laughs> Wait, how early are out there? What's that? How early is the opener there? Uh, I believe it was like September, that first weekend in September, because we missed it by a week. And... Uh, as far as like the opener goes and luckily we did because it, w- it was crappy weather that first week and so it time we timed it pretty good as far as that goes uh, but man I saw more fawns than I've ever seen and um, like up and moving and last light they just bed in that alfalfa field and then get up moving I mean you're out and you're like oh there they are it just like pops up and it was it was fascinating like I said I've never had that and you know my I'm th- I'll be 35 this this upcoming June so it was kind of it was brand new to me it was it was pretty cool it was a neat experience and and one that i'm not itching to go back but part of me does want to go back again like i said yeah. just for that challenge can i can i give you some advice for those velvet bucks yeah go on the opener opener okay <laughs> don't don't pull up your weather app don't look at it just go yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean when you when you talk about the first weekend of september versus the second week in december you're, or september you're talking about different deer i yeah. mean you're talking about that time where they're all going to go hard antlered at, you know, probably that week or pretty close. And man, that those first couple of days, the more, the more velvet bucks you have to target, the better off you are. Yeah. Now, how, how would you explain to someone or give them advice to get over that hump to, to try something different? Right. You know, I think yeah. a lot of us, you talked about limited time or, you know, traveling certain distances and that puts a lot of pressure, especially when you, you're taking the time and the money and, um, to, to go and do some of these new things, which might kick our butt, right? Because we've never done them before. We're not going to be good at it, whether it's going out West or trying a new state for whitetail, but you know, you want to enjoy the experience, whether you're successful or not, but with all those kind of things in the back of your mind saying, well, if I go out here, get my butt kicked, it was kind of worthless, you know, and how do you get over that mental hurdle to actually just go out and do it? Uh, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing you got to do is just mostly forget what you think, you know, so people, this, this is so like ubiquitous across the whitetail hunting ranks, right? Where it's like, okay, it's too hot, too cold, too rainy, too windy, you know, too much in the middle of October and not enough at the end of October. And when you travel and it, when you, when you travel a lot, like I've, I've been really lucky. Like I've, I've gone to a lot of States. I've spent a lot of time in tents hunting public land in various places. And when you do that for your job, like I don't, I just have to go. Like when, when I have time, I get that four days or whatever I go and I can't sit out a morning or an evening, or I can't just be like, well, it's going to be 
bad deer conditions tomorrow, so I'm not going to go. And when you start doing that, you just realize, like, okay, a lot of the stuff we believe is not true. Like, you think those deer aren't moving when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's windy. They're all out there doing their thing. And you just kind of got to leave a lot of that stuff behind. Like, you're not going to time it around the awesome cold front in October. You know, like, you're probably going to get that wrong. So what are you going to do about it? Like, you just got to work with what you have. And, you know, the other thing that I see people make a big mistake when they travel is they go with way too high standards. Like, when when you start out and it's like, okay, maybe you're really successful at home. Maybe it's public land. Maybe it's private land, whatever. But then you put yourself in a new state, a place you maybe never have seen before, and you've got four days. And now you're like, oh, I just want a Pope and Young buck. Or it's like, man, you got to, like, I don't know. Like, if you don't give yourself a chance, you're not going to do it. And I see this, you know, with people traveling everywhere, like everywhere. They do it with elk. They do it with mule deer. They do it with whitetails. And I'm like, you know, you got to understand, like, you're kind of, you know, you're not a beginner. If you're a seasoned whitetail hunter and you travel somewhere, you got a real good base coming with you. But there's a lot in that spot that you don't know. Right. And so it's like, you know, go there. And, it, you know, really, if you look at it, when you start traveling to a new place like you guys did, you're probably going to get your butt kicked the first time. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to kill one. But when you go back, you probably will. Or you'll start to see if you travel with a couple people, you know, the first year, maybe there's one deer killed. The second year, maybe it's two. And now, you know, I've got a couple, like, pretty good buddies I travel with who've gotten really good in the last probably 10 years. And we have quite a few trips where we go hundred percent on yeah. public land whitetails. And that wasn't the case when we started. Yeah. You know, because even in that trip last year, when we went, like we found, we kind of scouted around as much as we could possibly can. And I, again, you know, it's super hot during the day. And so we, we scouted put boots on the ground. I mean, miles upon miles, drive around, check out different spots, you know, looking on some pieces that are public next to private, just maybe a private field. And how far away is that from a public piece? And we got eyes on a couple of different bucks, which was awesome. And, you know, we kind of came up with different game plans. Hey, like, let's check out here, here, here. And uh, it just seemed like we were now just missed out that spot. Uh, so that was neat. And I mean, you, you bring up a great point too, Tony, because two years ago, Dimitri and I and our other friend, Tim, we went out West to Utah for our first West, like Dimitri and I's first Western hunt. And I was drawn back on a spike and it just, it was, it was like a 70 yard shot for me. I, I would have felt comfortable, but I was so thrown off in the mix because when I was at full draw, I'm like, he can't be that distance because he looked like he was like 30 yards. Like he just looked so close. And I, for some reason I was just, I, I was so even keel and like, and I thought I would be like shaking out of my boots and I was like, he can't be 70. And I remember I let down and I quick ranged him again just to verify. I was like, okay, he is 70. My dial's there. And I drew back. And as I was calming down and settling in the pin, he bounded off. And I just remember like I celebrated that stock because I, I mean, it was a whole big ordeal and he, he winded me a little bit after a change and that's where he, I was probably within 30 or 40. And then as he bounded away and stopped, he got to 70 yards, but man, if I would have had the opportunity to maybe have gotten a shot off and, and, you know, maybe kill that, that, that spike, I would have been so thrilled because we drove 28 hours out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would have been more than happy with that. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying for, for sure with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when you, when you go on your first meal deer hunt, like you're not going to be good at it. Mm-mm. Like when you go spot and stock antelope out in the plains, like you're not going to be good at it. Yeah. Elk hunting, like it's so obvious 
when you, and, but I think that's why some of that stuff's so important for us to do. Like, I think you should do stuff that's really hard yeah. because it, it, it makes you level up on everything. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I see, I don't know. I see people kind of build up those trips, like so much expectation. They tell everybody at work they're going and, you know, like I'm going to shoot a big velvet muley or something. And then you get out there and it's like, you know, you don't know how to stalk muleys. Like you don't <laughs> really know a lot about this. So you're going to screw up mostly every time. And then if you're like, I only want a good one, then you're like, okay, now I might get a stock once every couple of days and you're almost guaranteed to screw that up. Yep. So it's like, I don't know, like you got to give yourself a chance and you just got to remember like nobody cares. Like if you go out and shoot that spike, that's better than most people would do. Right. Like right there, you know? Now, do you think social media has a little bit to uh, blame for that? Just because, you know, like you said, you shoot a spike or you've never been there before or if you're going to a different state to hunt whitetails, you maybe have one day in the summer where you're able to make a day trip out, do put a little boots on the ground, maybe hang some trail cameras at the at the most, probably for most people. And then so then you're going in there and you only have four or five days to hunt. You know, if you're holding out for a big buck, you know, I mean, just to even put down a six point is probably pretty good, right? For never being in here, being in different terrain. But I mean, I think the social media aspects comes into play where it's like, well, if I post this thing in Iowa or Ohio, people are going to ream me out and say, oh, well, you're just shooting little deer. You should have let it walk, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? You know what's cool about that? You don't have to post it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, social media is a cesspool. You don't have to, you don't have to participate at all if you don't yep. want Yep. And, you know, I, so twice you guys have brought up trail cameras on those hunts. I would say if I had to give advice to somebody who's like, I want to go on my first out-of-state whitetail trip, I would say don't bring your trail cameras. You don't have time. Yeah. You know, like when you when you start doing that stuff and you you see this, I don't see this with mule deer or, or antelope as much because they're so much more visual. You can usually pick them up. Elk are like this where if, you, if you're going and you've got a limited amount of time on public land and you're going to hunt whitetail somewhere – it's all about the concentration of sign, yep. you know, like we, we, a lot of people kind of get locked into drive around, look for them, maybe go throw a camera up on this edge or that or something. And you're kind of like that can work, but you're already saying like, I'm, I, I, those things need time. Yep. Right. And those things aren't getting you in the woods the same way that if you're just like, I'm looking at a section of timber in X state or Y state and there's a river running through there. I know there's, a certain amount of whitetails in here without question. Where are they? Right. You, they'll show you, you know, just like elk. When you go into the, the mountains in Colorado, there's a lot of places that don't have elk sign. And you're just like, yep, they're clearly not here. And then you'll get to one spot and it's like, they're here. Like I'm just looking and like, I know I'm around a concentration of them. That's that happens on the same scale with whitetails. And that's, you know, to me, when I, at least on my travels, when I walk into those spots, then I'm like, now it's like somebody's going to die now. Yeah. Because when you see it, you know it. And you're not like, well, okay, we'll, we'll check that camera in two days because we'll still have two days left to hunt. Like that's it's a hard goal, man. Right. Now, with your out-of-state trips, if you're going into a new area that you've never hunted before, obviously you're looking at it on an e-scouting and on a map what sort of things on those newer pieces that you're looking for you know is there certain terrain features or anything that you're kind of keying in on when you're when you're thinking about hunting an area you know it depends what time of the year it is 
You know, I mean, I, I do a lot of my travel in September and October. And so, you know, I look for water a lot. I like water. You know, I like river systems. I like ponds. I mean, it's, you know, I was thinking about this today. I was writing something and it was like, when you look at like Onyx and you say you're, you got your satellite imagery of a spot you've never been to, and you're like, okay, here's a pond. That's deer probably going to drink there, right? But what else does it have going for it? Well, it's got this nice wooded draw coming in here and this looks like a bedding area maybe, or it's, you know, a mile and a half away from the access. You start going, okay, well now I have three ponds. One of them is really close to the access and it's kind of like out in a pasture. And I've got this little one that looks like it's tucked in here and it has some bedding cover around. And you start going, okay, some of these waypoints I dropped, I'm going to get rid of because they don't have enough going for them. Like it's just a food source or just a water source or just maybe a travel route. But then you start finding stuff if you do enough of that research where you're like, this this has water. This has some cover. This has like a, an, it's a nice distance from where I think a lot of the people are going to be. And you start dropping pins in those places yeah. and, and diving into them. And then I'll show up and go right into them with the plan to hunt. And a lot of times I walk into those spots and I'm like, okay, I got this one wrong. Like this just doesn't do it for me. But now I got to go a half a mile to this waypoint. And one of them, you're going to get in there and be like, this is, this is worthwhile. Right. Now, when you do that little bit of, of checking the, those certain areas, and I know, I, I remember hearing you talk about like, you know, your cluster rubs and everything like that. You know, what are you like for, for us right now, we find probably we've had more success finding say cluster rubs than scrapes. Now the path, this past year, we've had a lot of success actually finding more scrapes and throw up some cameras and seeing how deer are interacting and all that stuff. And like, even right now, I mean, on my trail, can I sent you a picture today of just certain cameras they are just still blowing up of deer hitting those scrapes on these trails. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about like, kind of like what Dimitri said, you have this limited time, you you find that sign, you know, are, are you putting more money on, on the table, going all in on more of the cluster rubs or finding scrapes or any other type of sign, uh, just because we have a friend that loves hunting certain types of tra trail features and he's had a lot of success using those as well. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. So, yeah. you know, I love rubs. I'm okay with scrapes, like certain, you know, in the middle of October, I really like the right scrapes, mm -hmm. but more, I, you know, when I find something like that, there's a concentration of sign. I'm always like, why? Yeah. Why, you know, what, what's he doing here? Or, you know, why, like, let's use like a community scrape, for example they're almost always in a place that's a hub of deer movement. Like they just, they just are cause it's a communication device. Right. So when you get in there and you find it, like when I was younger, I'd be like, Oh, here's a huge scrape with a licking branch on it. I'm going to set up over it. And I never did very well. I've only, I've killed some bucks on scrapes, but it, it's never been like a huge thing for me. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what I do is if I find that, or sometimes you'll see this in like Nebraska or some of these States where you'll be like, man, there's like, a huge concentration of scrapes right here and I'll back off. So I'm like real safe with the wind and I'll just observe, I'll still be hunting, you know, and try to plan to make, you know, maybe something's going to come by, but I want to know like, how are they using that? Like why, why did the deer feel the need to establish that there? And that's, you know, that sometimes takes some observation. The, the cluster rubs and like a concentration of rubs are usually different. Like when you find that you're like, I'm already probably on top of where he wants to be. So like then it's time to be really careful. Like okay. when you when you find those rubs and there's a bunch of them in the woods, he probably did that in daylight. 
Now you're like, okay, where's he coming from and where's he going? And how do I get here and not screw this up? So again, sometimes I'll move right in on that stuff and be right over the top of it. If it just feels like this, it's just humming right now. But even that the cluster rub situation, which is usually a staging area or, or maybe a bedding area, I'll just back off and kind of sandbag a night where I'm still hunting, but I'm like mostly just like, I don't want to damage this. Like, I don't want to go in and do this wrong. I just want to see what are they going to show me? Cause when they, like when they show you something, like they show you something, it's yeah. not random and it, you can use that like an observation so well for yourself. And it's not just the big ones, right? Like right. when you see, yeah, you, know, you see a scrapper approach a, a scrape, like, okay, that's, that's valuable. Like you might not want to shoot him, but how he came in there, like how he used the wind, did he work it? Did he use the licking branch? Like all that stuff's clues. And it's the same thing. Like when you're talking about your buddy with the trails, like, man, a lot of the deer I kill when I'm traveling and I'm on public land, it's because I walk in and there's a pounded trail and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get 20 yards downwind and I'm going to see who comes down this. And you know, like if that trail's there, it's probably tied to some kind of terrain feature or pinch point or something. So you have something else working for you. And even if they don't travel that, you might see them travel something else. Like you're, you're like, I'm giving myself a good chance. And you know, a lot of times like that first time you might kill something, but you might just get clued into something else. And then it's like a step two and a lot of deer die on that step two. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming you would recommend if you're doing an out of state trip and you don't have a ton of time to do any scouting that probably first day you probably recommend, you know, mainly getting in the woods, probably in the, you know, middle of the day to the afternoon and not obviously not going in the morning for you can kind of visualize and scout your way in. Is that correct? Um, sort of, I mean, yeah, I, I will do that. But what I, my system kind of now, I spent a lot of time on Onyx and I really try to have like, you know, maybe four or five different options where I'm like, there should be a buck concentration here and I'll go in ready to hunt in that first spot. Like wh- whatever the conditions say and whatever, like the spot I'm like, this one, this one works with what I'm dealing with weather wise right now and seasonal seasonality wise. And you go in there and like, get it right. You get it right. If you get it wrong, you just keep moving. And, you know, I like, just as an example, I drew Iowa two years ago or 2020 and I hunted public land down there and I had been there a little bit to Turkey hunt and scout, but not much. And I had like a a ridiculous amount of waypoints on there. Cause you know, I'm like, I don't want to burn this Iowa tag. Right. (laughs) And I knew I couldn't hunt the rut because I had to film some back 40 stuff. So I'm like, I got to kill a buck down here in October. And I went the first night and I got on, I just, I got kind of got down there late. Like I, I just went to this easy spot and I'm sitting here on the edge of an alfalfa field and like an idiot, like anybody would. And I saw a couple does and I'm like, you did all of this research and all of this work. And you just walked out here and looked and said, there's a field corner. I'm going to go sit it. And so the next morning, instead of hunting, I'm like, I'm going to just sneak into these, my top three and just see. And I went into the first spot, found an awesome concentration of bucks, went in the second spot, found a concentration, went in the third spot. And I was like, okay, now I have three areas. They're there. They've, they're, the rubs are there. The sign is there. And then it was like, you just, all, all I did was ground truth my e-scouting. Yeah. And it gave me the opportunity to, you know, this wind hunt here and that wind hunt there. This was better for mornings or that was evenings. And I had an awesome hunt. And it was just a matter of like, okay, trust that e-scouting and use it and it, you know like understand you'll get it wrong sometimes but go look like did you get it right and if you did like you're three quarters of the way there yeah 
Now you talk about like the staging areas and, you know, that's that area between bedding and, and food, you know, like how we were saying earlier, we don't really have that opportunity of knowing exactly where that food is. You know what I mean? Like some, like here we we're we're in that, we're not very far from Bo. Like we are where we are located in an hour, maybe 20 minutes. So we, we hunt that same terrain features. Uh, when I go back home, uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania, same thing. It's, it's, it's big, big woods. Um, you know, and I kind of was telling my dad this because he was successful filling a tag this past year on, on a seven, a nice seven point. And, uh, he was not very far from where that little hub of concentration was like where we were getting pictures of, of a scrape. And, uh, and the deer came from, from the opposite side and, and worked his way through there. And, uh, my dad just had a great tree spot and, the deer could have, I, my dad, the way my dad explained it, he was going to go towards that trail. And if he would have walked, he might've came down to me. <laughs> so, um, you know, go figure. I'm happy. I'm more happy for my dad though. Uh, what, what would that staging area look like in the big woods? I mean, is, is it just finding that, I mean, the laurel that they're like the, whatever they're eating on browsing on, is it the acorns? That's my kind of, question mark i guess for for me so you know the big woods is way tougher i mean like you get into like a nice deciduous forest with ag around you staging's easy to find yep and it's it's so valuable you know like where i hunt in northern wisconsin it's kind of like what you're talking about like you're not dealing with destination food sources like you're dealing with clear cuts and you're dealing yep. with brows and maybe some mast and I, I find staging areas there sometimes or, or places where I'm like, okay, you know, there's this thick creek bottom down here. Or there's, a, you know, the right age clear cut and they're going to something else. Like, you, you know, it's not like a defined thing. And I, I mean, this is, this is sort of the problem with throwing phrases like that around, right? As people yeah. listen to that, they go, okay, they're like this, this should be obvious to me because he says there's staging areas here. Yep. It's That's, like, man, you get yeah. into that stuff. It's not so simple. And so for me, I tend to do a lot of scouting there and I go, okay, where's, where's the buck sign? Where are the trails? Where are the clear cuts where they're probably going to feed and how does this all tie in? And then for me, I, I rely less on sign to some extent and more on observations in that, because, you know, if you, if you have like, you guys might have a little bit different situation than I'm talking about. Cause you probably have some terrain features that'll funnel movement. So, I mean, even though you're probably dealing with like a, a lower deer density, like you might have, something that funnels movement so that might help like where i hunt in wisconsin i don't you know, like the, it, it's pretty flat yeah. so you're not dealing with those terrain features so it's really like okay get around some deer sign but then like start looking right. and a lot of times the bucks that i kill over there it's because i i find some sign and i'm like okay I'm, I'm in an area and then i'll i'll post up and i'll see somebody do something and i'm like okay he crossed the creek bottom down there or I watched a buck come down to this bench, just mess around, mill around, maybe make a rub, and then he went back up. And you're like, okay, like everything you see those big woods deer do is a gift, you know. And yeah. so it's not, you know, you're not looking for a typical staging area the same way, unless you unless you do have a destination food source, like maybe right. you got a hay field or something. Right. Different deal. Right. But when you're talking big woods, that stuff's tough. Because that's where, like, just to give you a quick example, like where I normally hunt back at home, it's, I mean, just think of you know, big woods going up, up the big mountain and then it flattens out and there's a dam below. And I kind of hunt on that, that side of the facing of the mountain. And I'm kind of as, as, 
as far as the elevation goes, I'm kind of towards the bottom. And the reason why I chose that was because the way the deer tend to travel is in the morning, especially in that middle October, they're down in those fields across the street. So they'll kind of walk, you know, it takes some time. They're walking their way up. And uh, if they're walking right up that we call it the North road and hopefully I'm in the right spot and the right day. And, uh, I, and if at night they're walking down and the winds right there, they could potentially pass me. Now, what we've noticed though, is they're walking straight up to the top, the highest elevation of, of, of that mountain kind of staying up in the real thick stuff up top. And then at night, you know, they'll work their way down. And my dad had a, before he shot his on that Sunday here in Pennsylvania that we have in archery season now once, you know, one, one time in archery, uh, that Friday night before he shot the biggest buck that we've had on camera in a couple of years. And he just shot right under it. Uh, but he was just moseying around. My dad, you know, watched him come out for a little bit. He was working a tree like a little scrape and he took a step in a clearing and my dad just literally gave him a little haircut on the belly. And, uh, it was like, and I'm like, give me more details Dad. like which way was he going? And, you know, so we kind of like the next day it rained and we went up in the morning and I kind of just walked that trail just to see where he was possibly heading and, uh, not to kind of blow up the spot either. I just kind of went in there quick and then it started really raining hard. And, uh, I hunted up there on, on Sunday and no, it was a no go. I didn't see anything as we were driving out and leaving. We saw him. And I mean, he stopped dead in the middle of, of the headlights. And I mean, for us to see that, like for where we hunt, uh, I mean, that would, that would have been a, a really beautiful buck and one that I probably would never beat unless I come out to <laughs> Iowa. You know what I mean? Just, I, he was just a stud. And so we're hoping, uh, I mean, I'm horrible with scoring just because I've never had the <laughs> opportunity to score something like a big Pope and young, but he definitely was a Pope and young, no doubt about it. I mean, the, I, I just remember just going holy shit, dad, that, and my dad going, he looks like a Christmas tree, <laughs> you know? And so it was just neat to at least experience that with him. He goes, that's the one, Jerry, I swear, I swear that's the one that, that I shot at. And, um, so yeah. And, and, uh, we actually, I mean, we had a, I'll send you a picture too, Tony, but the, apparently earlier in early October, there was a big buck killed on the bottom of that road where I was talking about where they kind of cross. And, mm -hmm. uh, this gentleman thought it was actually when my dad was talking to him, kind of telling him about the deer. He's like, Oh, I'm, I hate to tell you, Kenny, this, this deer actually, I think got hit by a car. He's like, I saw it. And he goes, it was one of the biggest deer I ever seen. And Tony, this thing was bigger than the deer that we saw. And my dad hunted and, and it, it had trash all over it. And, uh, it was unbelievable. So they're, they're growing up there. It's, it's, it's a private area. And this is kind of like a question that I wanted to lead to a little bit. And, um, it, it, the pressure is, is very minimal. Um, but like myself here in central PA where I live, Dimitri and I, we hunt a lot of public. How do you see, cause I know you, you're in the same boat. You hunt both private and, and public. Where do you see one helping the other? Like, is it, you say, Hey, like from all my years hunting private has helped me on public. Is it all my years hunting public is, is going to help me more so on private because I see it that the last three, four more five years that I've hunted with Dimitri has helped me the last two, three years more so on private of seeing things and, and getting either more opportunities um, just because of one, I, w I would say, I guess, being aggressive, but learning to 
read the features better instead of like my dad saying, Hey, this is where we usually go because this is a good spot. You know what I mean? And, yep. and reading the the features. So it, how would you, would you kind of say, Hey, public land kind of equals more better for private or vice versa type of ordeal? I think that experience is real important. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just, I think, I think challenging yourself and going out and doing new stuff is really important. Like I, easy doesn't make you good. Right. So, you know, like easy can be fun, you know, like, but really if you're, if you're going out, you know, I mean, this is, this is one of the things too about like kind of on that, maybe it's not what you're looking for, but people think private is always better than public and public's always going to be terrible. And there's so much individual variance, (laughs) right? Like when you think about, uh, you know, I've got a farm I've hunted forever. I've talked about it a billion times. It's in Minnesota, Southeastern Minnesota. It just gets piss pounded. Like if you looked at it on paper, you'd be like, it's amazing, right? It's in the bluffs along the river. It's, it's one of the hardest places I have to hunt. And, you know, I didn't know any better growing up there. Like I just went out there and I was just hunting whatever deer. And then when I started traveling to hunt some other States, I was like, geez, I can go to public land in South Dakota and see bigger bucks in two days there than I'll see in four years back home. Right. And so you start to realize like, okay, it's not necessarily public versus private. It's pressure versus unpressured. Yep. So if you, regardless of whether you're hunting public land, there's a bunch of pressure, you're hunting private land and there's a bunch of pressure. That's what makes you good. Yeah. Cause, cause you have to work, against the deer and everybody else. Yep. And when you, when you do that a lot and then you just get to work against the deer, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yep. I've, been, I've been lucky. I've done a few of these hunts where it's been like a, a place where it's like nobody else gets to hunt here or, you know, like it's like very limited and it's almost not fair because yeah. you take away that whole other aspect of pressure, which is the biggest part of it, the hardest part to overcome. And so it's really just a matter of like you get more experience doing the hard stuff and everything will become easier. Yep. You know? Well, now, how do you handle that pressure? So whether it's a private or public, so maybe you're doing an out-of-state hunt, you've e-scouted it, or maybe you've done a day trip and you, you put boots on the ground, but obviously it's not hunting season, so you don't see tree stands or other trail cameras. You think it's a good spot. You, you get out there, and there's just pressure everywhere, right? And, and you've never – there's not much land to kind of move around and – so how do you hunt those pressured areas, whether it's like just finding those pockets of, you know, where those deer are going to migrate with that pressure? How do you navigate that scenario a little bit, especially with your out-of-state hunts? Uh, well, I, I do a couple things. I try, I try to time a lot of my hunts when I think there'll be fewer people there. Like you don't, I don't do a lot of traveling to hunt the first week of November on public land. They give, if I can help it, because that's when everybody's going to go. And, you know, I asked you guys about that velvet hunt. You know, I can get to a couple states pretty close to me that have, you know, September 1 openers. And I don't do that anymore because that's when everybody's there. You know, I mean, they just are. And so if you you have the luxury of being able to time it, and this is a hard thing for people, right? Like if you tell people, you know, I'd rather go hunt October 10th when nobody's going to be there versus November 1st, people go, no, I'm not doing that. It's like, okay, well, that's fine, but like, I, I know I'll have an easier hunt that way. And the, the other thing that I, I've really started to look at is just, you just accept the pressure, right? Like you just, you just know what's going to be there. So what are the deer telling you? So you're, you're like, you're always trying to get away from people to some extent, but the deer are going to tell you how to do that. 
And so like I, I've talked about this a whole bunch, but I, I had an experience in uh, Oklahoma, like, I don't know, 2018 or something, 40 years ago, whatever. And I went to this spot, never been there before. We got our asses kicked in the first spot we went to. Couldn't hardly find a deer. Just called an audible, drove halfway across the state. Oh, I love this And story. showed up at this yeah. place. And I, I found a spot that I'm like, this looks too easy, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm like, I got to get in deep. I went way too far. I walked past a whole bunch of sign where I was like, geez, it looks like they're right by the parking area. Went to the other end of this thing and watched this amazing non-typical come out in a blizzard in in Oklahoma. Came all the way and chased the doe. I missed him. And he came right through by the parking area. So the next day was our last day. I'm like, I'm just going to go set up right there because there's rubs and scrapes. And I set up there. I had a bunch of does come through. I killed a buck right before dark. And it was like, even though we were covered in people, there was people all over. There was road hunters, you know, there's guys walking around with crossbows. Like it was, it was rut. It was heavy. Right. Yep. But those deer, they, they were like, Hey dude, we left a shit ton of sign right here <laughs> and you walked right on through it. And I try to remember that, like they don't, we think they move. So I just, I just did an interview. It hasn't dropped yet, but I interviewed uh, Michael Chamberlain, the, the uh, Turkey doc. He's a wildlife biologist, but I interviewed him about deer. And he was, he was talking about how they've collared bucks in different places. And they, I know that uh, Penn State's done this, yep. too. And, you know, like everybody's like, oh, the bucks are gone. The deer left because it's gun season and it's public land. It's like, no, he, he dropped halfway down the ridge. <laughs> and he rode out three weeks of rifle hunting and never went anywhere. And, and Chamberlain told me about a turkey that they had collared that lived like 100 yards from the main access to this public land down south where everybody's Thanks, the best yeah. turkey hunter in the woods, right? Yep, yep. And he said, I don't know how he did it, but that turkey survived, and he lived, right? And, they, you know, they're checking in on them like once every half hour or whatever that, that logs their location. And you think if a turkey can do that, like a three-and-a-half-year-old whitetail can do that all day long. Yeah. And so you kind of just got to go – I, I'm going to try to get away from people if I can, like if I can outwork them or, you know, maybe go for a Tuesday through Saturday versus like a weekend thing or something. Or if I can sit longer than them, that, that helps a lot. Like all season long, not just during the rut that matters, like doing a little bit better than your competition, but also just letting the deer tell you and it, and don't settle until they tell you, don't just be like, this is good enough. Like you got to go into a place where your spidey senses are tingling and you're like, this is it. Yeah. I had uh, it's great that you actually said about like sitting all day because one of the our listeners one of their questions was your favorite all day sit location. So I guess you could even preface it that with maybe like maybe even a specific hunt that you were talking like about or if you're like man if I'm either staying home here in Wisconsin I'm, this is my favorite spot or wherever it may be. Well, you know, I mean, it, the dreamy scenario for an all day sits the rut on a a good funnel with some water or food or something. Right. But honestly, I, I mostly sit all day all the time now. Yeah. So when, when I travel, like, you know, it feels dumb, right. When you're in, you know, an early season hunt in North Dakota and it's like 112 degrees and you're like, this is so freaking stupid. (laughs) The, The option is to go back to camp and sweat your ass off there. Right. So I just started like, I'm just not going to go in. I carry an elk pack with me and I bring in enough stuff to food and whatever else to just have options. And I realize, like, not only do I just enjoy my hunting more because I'm like, okay, not like I'm not going back. And and I've started doing this at home as well. And just either either sit all day in one spot, whether it's on a pond in the early season or whether it's on a pinch point in the rut. 
or maybe I'll go into a morning stand and sit till noon. And then I hike right on over to an evening stand and sit the rest of the day. And, you know, it doesn't, I don't want to paint like a super rosy picture with it because it doesn't work that often. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, I kill a deer at a stupid time. And you're just like, okay, well, it works. <laughs> you know, like they got thirsty at one o'clock and they came in and I shot one, you yeah. know, and it's not the rut or sometimes it is, but it's just, it's time in the woods, man. And I, you know, I start to see people, you know, when you, when you, you, you got buddies and you see people when you're hunting and you're like, okay, man, they showed up an hour and a half before dark and walked out there. Like, and you've been watching deer for three hours already. You know, it's like little stuff like that matters. Yeah. Now, when you're doing that in the whitetail woods, are you just kind of going from your morning spot to your evening, or are you actually trying to kind of maybe scout your way through the woods and try to, you know, do you know where you want to go specifically, or are you kind of letting what you see in the woods, maybe if it's a newer spot, dictate where you kind of want to be for that evening, or maybe you just around noon find such good sign, you're like, well, the deer are traveling here, I'm going to get up here and sit the rest of the day. Uh, it just depends, you know, I mean, it, a lot of times if I move, it's cause the wind switched, mm-hmm. right. You know, like there's just something where you're like, I can't, I can't be here anymore. I gotta have, I gotta have, but I always have a backup. And if you don't have a backup, you have an idea where you want to go. And so, you know, you're kind of like, it, maybe it sounds like way more freelance than I mean it to sound, but you just, you're like, okay, I've got these options and I'm going to plug in whatever, you know, whatever the deer show me, whatever the conditions are, the seasonal timing, and, you know, maybe I go in there and if, if I don't see deer on a full day or if I sit in the evening and a morning and I don't see deer, I'm probably gone unless I really believe it for some reason. But, you know, a lot of times you're like, okay, well, I'm on this river system and I, I went in here in the morning because I could get in here and I thought they were going to filter back through here. And at noon, you're like, now the, the wind switched a little bit and I know this crossing down here would probably be better. And so I'm either going to go, you know, saddle up there or throw a stand up or I'm going to go do something else like that. But you kind of have those ideas in mind. Like I don't, I don't go into a day of whitetail hunting without having a pretty good idea what I'm going to do. And even then a lot of times you do something a little bit different. Right. Now, one question that I have, Tony is, uh, I'm obviously I'm an, I'm an educator, so I'm, I'm all big on learning and, and growing and, and all the type of stuff like that. What is one that you can maybe think of like a hunting failure that turned into something totally positive, either that next day, that same day or the next year, what's like a moment that you could think of that maybe turned was a turning point for you or just totally kicked something, uh, like, okay, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. And, and it proved right the next time, man, I've had so many of those. <laughs> I mean, I, I've had so many times where I just wanted to quit or yeah. throw my bow out of the tree. I mean, I, one of the, one of the ones that really sticks with me. So when I started hunting, it took me four years to kill a deer and I hunted my ass off and I killed a button buck in December, late December in Minnesota was my first year. And it was like, it was like, I couldn't believe this happened. And then, you know, I went through the phases, right? Like where I just, I'm like, I just want a buck and took, I got my ass kicked for a while then again. And then I finally started to like string together like a couple seasons where I'd kill a year and a half olds. And then, you know, like every, like everybody, I'm like, I want a bigger one. And I got real stuck on two and a half year olds. Like I couldn't move past it. And, you know, like I, I had, I've talked about this a billion times, but I have buck fever really bad. And I, I had a point in, I think it was 2003. I found this spot that was just, 
it's just amazing for like a little bit. It's in Minnesota, and like the the last couple of days of October, first couple of days of November, these bucks just staged there. And it like the, when I found it, I walked in in the rain, and I was like, I've never sat here, and it's just like you know, it just looked right, like the wind and everything. And I had like a 130 inch ten pointer walk in it. No clue he was coming. He came behind me, turned around, and he was like ten yards away, and I missed him. And it was like that was a monster deer to me right. at that time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was like unreal. So that stung. But then the next year, I killed a buck right away, so I was done. It, like two and a half year, or yeah, two and a half year old that year. And then the year after, I'm like, I gotta get a big one. Like I just gotta do it. And so hunted the season, didn't get one, and I went into that spot, and I was I, we, we my wife at the well she was my girlfriend at the time my wife now we went to a concert that week and then i had the whole week off first week of november and i was deaf i went out in the wood i couldn't hear a thing and like the, the leaves that blow in the trees i couldn't hear it it was miserable i was so dumb it was the last concert i went to i'm almost but i'm sitting there and in that spot again different tree but same spot and i look up and here comes like a 150 like a holy shit like no yep. way and he just walks through and i just miss him just fall apart with but he only goes like 50 yards and i'm in panic mode right so he stops and works a scrape and i i i, I don't hardly call i called every every call you could make to a deer every every vocalization and i couldn't hear anything so i'm watching this buck and i look behind me and here comes like a 125 inch eight pointer right by me and so i just turned around and i missed him and that deer was so close my arrow was in the ground and when he dropped a duck it he snapped my arrow that was in the ground and so i missed two pope and young bucks wow. in a matter of 10 minutes and i'm telling you i was sitting in that tree and i was like i'm not meant to do this this is not i gotta golf or i gotta do something <laughs> i gotta buy a jet ski i don't know what i gotta do this is not my thing and I just like, you know, I didn't kill, I killed a little buck later, right before gun season started. And I was just like, why can't I do this? Like, why can't I make this happen? And so, you know, I go through the whole summer shooting and everything. And that following year, I didn't have, I was, I lived up, I, you know, we'd moved up to the Twin Cities. So I didn't have like the farm right by me that I was used to hunting. I couldn't hunt opening weekend because I had to work. And I'm like, this is a horrible season already. And the first time I had a chance to hunt, I had to drive down from the city as fast as I could, broke every law I could, got down there, I handed off my brand new puppy to my buddy's girlfriend because I needed somebody to watch my dog, ran into the woods and sat on a field edge just to try to see some deer. And I'm sitting there in this like little sprinkle of rain and I look up and there's this non-typical awesome buck walking in and he walks to eight yards and I shot him through the heart and he ran and tipped over and I was like, holy shit, yeah. like I can't believe that happened. Yep. You know, like... Just the when I shouldn't have killed him, you know what I mean? Like the yep. first deer I saw, and he came in, and I actually hit him right, and it changed my entire perspective on everything. Like what I had done, it, my, my buck fever was like, you know, it, it comes from where we all get it, right? It's just greed. Like I wanted them so bad that I couldn't keep it together at all. And then because of that, and that starts feeding itself, and then you go screw up, and then you screw up again, and it just gets worse and worse. And then you have one gift deer that comes in, does everything wrong, stands right there, and dies when you probably shouldn't have killed him. And you go, okay, these are not like mythical creatures. 
You know what I mean? Like, yes. this is not like I'm giving them too much credit and I'm not giving myself enough credit. And that, that was like, I know that's like a super long way. No, that's story, perfect. But, uh, you know, like that, th- I think about those moments a lot because yes. they really formed sort of like a basis for me to like move on and be like, okay, dude, like you can do this, you know, and it didn't get easy. It just got easier. Right. I'm glad we have this recorded because if we told people that Tony Peterson killed year and a half bucks and has buck <laughs> fever, no one would ever believe us ever. Uh. Dude, dude, I don't. I don't know why I kill little bucks all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. I got. I got a range, man. Like it depends where I go, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and I still, I I don't get buck fever the way I used to, mm-hmm. but I, part of it is I've changed my shooting system and everything. Like I, my, my bows are set up for a guy who shoots fast and doesn't have a lot of brain function at the moment. Like I dumb everything down. Yep. And so I've learned to work with it and you do like get over it in time, but you're talking like a hundred and some deer or whatever, you know, like it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not like just an easy move to make sometimes, you know? Absolutely. Now, how do you dumb down your bow? Like, can you explain that for someone that might be, you know, in the same situation where they just get too excited. Now, what does your setup look like for you that helps you in those situations? Uh, I don't know if you guys can tell or not, but I'm like a twitchy idiot. Like I'm a, I, I'm fast with everything I do. Like when I hunt with people, they're like, you got to freaking slow down, dude. (laughs) When I shoot a shotgun, like I love to upland hunt and duck hunt. Like everything I do is fast. And I grew up shooting traditional bows and so my shot sequence is pretty fast. Like it, and when I, you know, when I switch from a, a recurve to a compound and you start shooting multi-pin sights, you've got to slow that down. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, cause if you're shooting, you know, it's 40 yards and it's the third pin or you got a gap or something like you can't just draw settle quick and go. And I can't get past that. Like I can, I can get past that target shooting. I can't get past it when a deer's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Like when I, no matter what, like I, I'm a different person at the target range than I am in a tree stand. And so I just had to look at it and go, how, how can I, you know, how can I get a sight or what can I do to just like work with my shot sequence, like my fast shooting and my fast target acquisition. And so I went to a single pin site and I, I really started working on it where like I took the, and some people don't like that, you know, like using a mover, but I had to take most of the shot sequence out and in front of the shot and just go, okay, he's, you know, range him. He's 27 yards, dial to 27 yards. Now I don't have to think about anything. I get that bow back. I've, you know, I check my bubble level or whatever. And it's like that pin goes where it's supposed to. And you shoot like, that's it. You know, like I don't have to get there and go, okay, red pin high, green pin low. None of that. Because when I start doing that, I start making bad shots. Yeah. I, I just, when, when you were explaining your whole, you know, you, I, I looked at Dimitri. I don't know if you saw it. I was like, yeah, that's, that's me. You know, my, our buddy, Jim, he, uh, he, he has his bow technician, you know, certification. And, he, uh, we shot total archery challenge last year and we were laughing. Cause he's like, how, when, cause the, the first day, the first, what, half I shot really well. And then everything, the other course then was all uphill and it just totally, I sent one over by like an inch and then I was all mind games and wonky, but the first like 15, I mean, I was hitting everything. Like that was the best I shot in a while. And then the next day we shot the knock on course and I shot with our buddy Jim and 
Tony, I, I mean, I've, I'm the same way. I draw back, I'm, I'm on, and I let it go, you know? And it's not like, you know, it was just how, like you said, it was just I, I acquire fast, I'm on it fast, and I, I go. Um, but sometimes it's it's bit me in the butt. And uh, But our buddy Jim's like, I don't understand how you, you're shoot, out shooting me who shoots a lot for 3D for money. And he's like, you're, you know, you're shooting so well. And you're not like, you're, you put the, the, the string to your nose and you're, you're going. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I just do things quick. And, uh, but yep. since then, I've, I've actually slowed down my process a, a lot. And uh, I've, I've really dedicated uh, this whole offseason to shooting the uh, knock-on backstrap. So um, I was using like a, using a wrist strap my whole life. And I switched to the knock to it like a thumb trigger. And I developed kind of a bad habit with the thumb. And then yep. went back to the trigger and I was okay for a little while and doing different things. But this, the backstrap kind of really helps me kind of like mentally be okay. Like this sucker is not going to go off until I actually like squeeze basically. Um, so that's helped me a ton. And I'm just anxious to, we we're finally getting decent weather here in PA and with me coaching baseball, my time's limited. So I haven't, we haven't really set up our bows yet. So I'm like itching hardcore to get outside to be like, Hey, what's a 25, 30, 40, 50 yard shot look like, for, you know, with the, with the backstrap compared to being, you know, 10 yards, not even with it. You know what I mean? Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. So, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> but I, I'm really excited though, because that's the release I really want to use in the woods this year, just because again, I have it set pretty, I would say more so on the hot than the cold. Um, just because as far as like the crisp of it and the way I'm, I'm, I'm hoping is that like if a given an opportunity where a buck or a doe comes and I need to maybe go quick, if I just pull that little bit of harder, it's going to go. Um, yep. But so I'm, I'm hoping that given an, an opportunity, I could just settle down. Dimitri's killed this process in uh, the last two years. He's, he's done a phenomenal job with it and just taking his time. And, and I mean, you were three for three this year for archery tag. So it was, it was, it, you know, I'm trying to learn from him as well, but no, that's, that's good to know. It's just good. And I appreciate you kind of sharing all that with us regarding all that. Yeah. You just got to learn. I mean, I don't know, because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, you, you know, you can buy a lot of good stuff to help you, but you're still working with yourself. Yep. Like, you like, you still got to know what you do, right? And I think I think one of the problems a lot of people have with this is they're not honest with themselves about, you know, like, you see this with the excuses we make for missing all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, nobody ever misses because they're an idiot, yeah. right? Like, nobody ever misses because <laughs> they have buck fever. It's always because the deer jumped the string or you hit an unseen twig or you misjudged the range. And I, you know, I'm so jaded on this because I've heard it a billion times. And I'm always like, you know, if you put a full size deer target out there, you'd have never, you'd have to shoot a thousand times before you missed. And that would only be because you were exhausted. Right. Yeah. So what happened? And if you're honest about that stuff, like, man, you know, I was kind of out of my mind and I didn't take my time. Okay. Like how often does that happen? Was that an anomaly or is that like kind of the rule for you? Or, you know, some people, you know, like. When I've worked for Bowhunter Magazine for 10 years and, you know, worked with Kurt Wells a lot. Like, Kurt Wells is, like, very calm when he shoots at animals. Like, he can handle a, a, a seven-pin sight and shoot really well. There's a guy who doesn't need – like, he figured it out. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's like, this, is, this, this works is for me. Yep. But there's tons of experience there. And a lot of people – you know, this, this is another reason why, you know – I kind of talk about the trophy thing a lot. Like if you, if you set your sights only on a really, really big deer 
and you know you're going to get an opportunity once every couple of years you're not getting any experience shooting deer yeah and you need experience shooting them yep. like everybody does otherwise when you do get that opportunity you're destined to screw it up yeah i want to ask because i know i, I don't want to take up a lot of your time tony you know how much like I, I guess stock do you put into your overall setup whether it be like your mobile hunting um the gear you use just because again I, it's very materialistic i mean like you said earlier when you started getting going like you know people were selling like i like i work closely with with tethered you know i'm i and uh, that is something I, I write i've written now the past couple months a bunch of articles for go wild like regarding saddle hunting for them and uh it's it's kind of been my I love it and uh, trying to better myself and my setup. And I, I talk about the importance of your setup. Dimitri got into it this past year from what views in your climber for the last 12 plus years and yes. hammer. Yeah. You know, just hammering it and doing an amazing job with that. And he's transitioned to the saddle and you found a, a beautiful niche in that, I, I would mm -hmm. say. And um, you know, how much stock do you put into your overall setup and the importance of that? Because you know, to be a more of, of a, efficient hunter, I guess, man, I'm a big believer in options. Yeah. So I, I, I think you should find a bunch of stuff you like, but be careful what you fall in love with because you'll default to it. So, and this, this is happening, you know, tethered is like directly responsible for this because they made, they're like making great saddles. Like they're making the best saddles we've ever had. And when people use them, they're like, this is a freaking phenomenal option for most stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like having a great sit and climb or whatever, or having a nice lightweight portable setup, like that's great for a lot of stuff, but not every situation. Just like sometimes you just got to get out of the tree and get on the ground. Like yeah. sometimes that's a better option. And so for me, I'm, I'm really into just like, okay, I got to have a, I got to have some sticks that are lightweight that I really like, you know, like you just got to Cause you're going to use them for a bunch of stuff. So I have some sets of those. You got the saddle have nice lightweight stands. I like, you know, like eight pound stands for certain situations. Just depends what I'm doing. I got a climber because sometimes, you know, like especially where I hunt in Wisconsin where there's a lot of logging, they leave you a lot of nice climber stand trees and it's just an easy, especially, uh, you know, on the public land, you got to take your stands down. So it's like, okay, that's like a, that's perfect for that. But I would hate it. Like I would never bring a climber out to Western North Dakota. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's saddle country and that, you know, it's just, so having those options is huge just, yeah. and it's not so much, I shouldn't say that it is having those options. It's great. Right. But knowing how to use them and having a ton of confidence with them is like the secret sauce. Yeah. You know, like if you go get a saddle and buy the best saddle out there and have the lightest weight sticks and everything, but you only put them up two times a year or three times a year, you're probably not like, it's, it's not good enough. Right. You know, like you, you want to be like, especially when you start shooting from them or, you know, that big buck comes in, you got to get around the tree, like having confidence in those setups, super important. It's extremely important. And that's what I, I mean, I killed, uh, a doe on the second to last day of our late season archery hunt. And I, I, I'm a big, I love the XL platform from tethered just because it allows me to get around the tree a lot more compared to like a smaller platform because of the kick out dimensions of it. And I, yep. all I ended up doing was my weak side shot was blocked, uh, from a tree, uh, from where this deer was kind of hold like staging up. And I, I put my, my right, uh, foot on the, the crest of the left side of the platform. My left toe was on my stick 
and I was able to swing around fully around the tree and I had the window and I, I drew back and settled my pin and shot the doe. And, uh, you know, I, it was like the finally got the you know weight of the world lifted off me after hunting so many days of the season this past season. But, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of confidence in that, but that, you know, and again, that's because I did, and that was an easy maneuver for me. And, you know, I quick looked of, okay, I don't have that shot from the weak side, so let's do this. And I did it and it worked and you know what I mean? So, um, yep. that, that's awesome. And I, I agree. Like it, I, I mean, Greg talks about it. Godfrey's just says, Hey, it's another tool in the toolbox. And, um, like you said, I, and I've talked about that too. The, the one thing that I love about it is if, Hey, hunting from the ground is, is that option to go? Then, you know, you're not lugging around the the big 20 pounder, you know, climber or, or heavy sticks and stand with you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's important. That yeah. stuff's important. And, you know, I mean, the, one of the lessons there and what you're talking about is, you know, anybody who's listening to this, who might go on that first trip, mm-hmm. like, you know, you always have a tendency to buy stuff right before the trip. You know, people do this with elk hunting all the time. They do, you know, working out before elk hunting and coming out injured because they, you know, <laughs> they, they procrastinated way too much yeah. or they buy brand new boots before they go, or you're going to go on that you know, first public land trip with your buddies, you're like, I'm going to get a saddle and it's going to be awesome. Cause this is what Zach Farrenbaugh does. And then you get out there and you're like, I don't even know how to put this thing up, you <laughs> yeah. know? And then like, that move you're talking about to get that slump buster dough there. Like not everybody's going to be able to do that until they get really used yeah. to it. Yeah. Well, what's uh, I want to wrap up Tony with asking you what's on the docket for you, Turkey hunting or like any last minute scouting sessions. I know you probably have maybe one or two more weeks left that you're going to probably hammer that out unless you're already done doing that and getting ready for turkey season uh, i've been scouting deer quite a bit um i've got a the, the most exciting scouting i've been doing is southwestern minnesota i've never hunted deer down there okay uh, i go down there and i pheasant hunt a lot and i really want to kill a big one on public land down there and it's a it's you know like we were talking about before it's just cattails and not it's not what i typically hunt i've never hunted that type of terrain for whitetails but my dogs and I kick a lot of them up when we're looking for roosters. <laughs> and so I've been just trying to figure out how I'm going to make that happen down there. Cause it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be doable, but tough. So I've been spending some time down there. Um, turkeys, you know, I've got twin 10 year old daughters and that's awesome. We've, we've got blinds out. I've got cameras out. I've, I'm scouting turkeys hard right now. I've, yeah. I've been out with the spotting scope and the camera. Like we, uh, I really want to get them a bird in Minnesota and Wisconsin a piece. And we've had, we've had pretty good luck with them the last couple of years. Like they've, they've done pretty well, but I've never been like, okay, we're going to get four yeah. <laughs> just for them. Yeah. So that's, that's my goal. And that's, that's what I'm working on pretty hard right now. Excellent, man. Yeah. My daughter, she's, uh, she just turned eight this past uh, March 3rd and, uh, she's like, daddy, when can I go shoot that Turk in the face? Like, she's all like gung ho. Like she was like this past season. Cause in Pennsylvania, uh, for the youth tag like that, they're able to get their own tag now, um, for the mentorship. And, uh, she was like, I'm shooting a bear. I'm shooting a Turkey. I'm, you know, so she's, she's a piece of work that, and she's the littlest thing in the world. Like I swear she looks like she's like still four, um, but man, can, I gr- can you use four tens out there? Yep, we sure can. Oh. So that's that's what we're going to take her out on, and my my dad's all pumped, and uh, yeah. so yeah, we're we're excited, and it's just it's awesome to grow up and Dimitri's little boys. They're they're a couple years away from that, but uh, we can't wait. I mean, that's just. 
that's on the docket and horizon in the next couple of years. So selfishly, he and I, we're going to try to do as much <laughs> hunting, uh, to, to put some more notches, I guess, on our belt until it's going to be mainly focusing on getting them there, you know, their first and, and of many, hopefully. Yeah. Just wait. Yep. <laughs> it's man. I, I don't even, you know, I don't even have a Turkey tag yet for Minnesota. I don't know when I'm going to buy it for, cause I'm just like, it's so much, it's such a different thing taking them out, yeah. you know, and it, that legalizing four tens, a bunch of States have done it now and having that federal TSS. Yep. It's wild, man. I mean, I know everybody talks about it, but it's so effective Yeah. and you know, I mean, it's a close range deal, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's like for kids, it's such an, uh, just an amazing option. Yep. I agree, man. I, I, Tony, I, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I, I know you're unbelievably busy and, um, you know, I, I just, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us this evening. And there, there's a couple more questions that I, I maybe one day we could get to. And, uh, dude, dude you want to ask them? Go ahead. Uh, well, <laughs> or you want, doesn't matter to me. What? Oh, let me ask one. Uh, let me All ask right. one. You, Dimitri kind of alluded to it um, just because I, I wish I, I didn't get a chance to. And I my, my buddies were like, dude, did you listen to Tony's, you know, the, about purchasing land? And I didn't get a chance to kind of do my homework on, on that episode this past, you know, from this past week. Um, but Dimitri brought it up a little bit ago about, you know, the social media. And we just talked about our kids. You know, where do you see and you've been doing this for a very long time successfully working within the quote unquote hunting industry you know, where do you see the trend of hunting going right now in, in the near future? Uh, I see the trend on social media as far. I think we're going to get kicked off. Like I, I think we're, I guess I shouldn't say, I, I shouldn't say we as like an all inclusive thing. I think, I think a lot of the hunting industry, a lot of the hunting media is going to get kicked off and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, you know, I don't want to get fired because media to realize on that really heavily, but it's, they're, they're not it's not a, it's not a great look for us. Yeah. It, it can be, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, you know, and, it, and I don't, I don't mean to like just single out hunting, right? Like I don't, I don't think we should be on social media. Like I think we're going to look back on this in 50 years and be like, that was worse than smoking. Like yeah. we shouldn't have been doing this. Right. It's a bad, it's, uh, I don't like it anyway, as far as the future of hunting, I'm, I'm pretty worried. Like I'm, I'm pretty worried about where we're going. Like when I see the trends in the West where it's so anti non-resident and you know, you really, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in our ranks who would vote away your privilege to go hunt somewhere in a heartbeat to have better hunting for themselves. That really worries me. And you know, like that's, that's common. Like your, your daughter, Dimitri's kids, like, I don't think they're going to get to elk hunt. Like maybe, you know, maybe they'll draw a PA tag or something, but <laughs> to just go do maybe, right. Yeah. yeah. But to, to just go do a elk hunt in Wyoming or Colorado or Montana, like, I don't know, man, like, I don't, I don't have that much hope that my, my yeah. daughters would get to. And then when I look at the whitetail thing, this, this is why I fight against the trophy thing so hard is you know, like I, I don't blame people for buying land or leasing or doing whatever. Like I, I get it all. Like it's, I, I'm totally okay with it. But the, the general movement we're making is I really want mine so I can kill big ones and I don't want anybody else in there. 
You know, I mean, and the hedge to that, because I don't want to keep people from doing that. Like, I think you should be able to lease out your land or go buy land or whatever. Like, I firmly believe that. And so, like, the hedge against that is let's make sure we have public land and let's make sure we're working on getting more access to public land any way we can. Like, I think I think that's the way we we keep this thing around for our kids. Like, I mean, our grandkids probably aren't going to have this, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I hope they do, but I'm not confident they will. But I think like the best thing we can do right now is like responsible hunters is be like, let's work for these walk-in access programs. Let's let's figure out however we have to to get as much land open to everyone as we can. Wonderful. That's yeah, and, and I I mean even for the social media aspect, I mean when we started Antler Up, I mean, uh, I mean if you were to look on Instagram, I I, I mean we're we're low thousands of of followers. It's not you know and. Uh, the way I guess you could say Insta, like Instagram was, oh, I don't have a TikTok. I don't like, you know what I mean? So I, and I don't, we don't post much on YouTube as much as we probably would like to type of, of ordeal. And, and honestly, lately I, when I post anything on social media, it's a, it's a, about our episode and yeah. you know, I, I kind of, it's ran its course for me. And I, again, like you said, like hopefully, you know, we, we partner with certain people and make posts about certain things, but it's, man, it's hard. Like I, you know, like I said, I'm a 34 year old man and I love hunting and I love outdoors and I, I love engaging with people, but it's also just, man, I got better things to do. He has better things to, you know what I mean? It's just so hard to, to wrap around, like to get, like, I could care less if, you know what I mean? It's just so hard to, I guess, I mean, it's easy to explain, but it's, it's hard to yeah. explain, I guess, in the right context. Yeah. I mean, I think we've kind of, we're in a weird spot, right? They, I mean, it, Zuckerberg and some of these dudes did a really good job of figuring out how to get us hooked on this. Like yeah. you're hooked on the free platform, right? Yep. But at the same time, like we, we've all gone, well, now we need it. Everybody needs it. You got a business in the outdoor industry. You have to have it. Yeah. And it's like, well, the product you're selling people is a podcast, right? <laughs> right. Like <laughs> you're not selling them an Instagram page and it, you know, and the, so it's like, we're in this weird place where it's like everybody feels like they need it. And listen, you can do some good on there. Like, I mean, fundraisers and stuff like that. Like they're, it's not all negative. Like I don't want to sound like that, but I just look at the the potential for danger for us. Yeah. Like the potential to have, you know, like have things blow up, you know, like somebody posts a picture of them torturing a deer that they killed and isn't dead yet. Or what, you know, you know what I mean? Like the stuff that we've had happen or that happened in somebody goes, you know, somebody goes to Africa and they shoot a giraffe and they're posing with, you know, like they, like nobody's policing this stuff. And right. it's just, it, it, it has the potential to do so much damage to us. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Tony, I, I again, thank you. I, it really means a lot. I, we tune in every week and uh, at some point when it's time, I need to catch up on things and with our baseball schedule with now going we travel a lot my my high school because it's a big school uh i put the ear pods on on the way trips and i listen to podcasts so man i I, again thank you so much and hopefully we cross paths sometime and uh, you know maybe maybe have you on again in in the future sometime so i appreciate it man yeah man thanks for having me on this was fun awesome well everybody thank you again for tuning in to uh this episode and uh and responding and some of them tony just to to read you some i don't know if you're able to see that they just said uh one of them i guess earlier on when we were saying about passing uh josh said never pass up something uh 
uh, on Monday, what you would shoot on, <laughs> on, on Friday, how I go into it when I hunt out of state and, uh, and Bill from Bill, our buddy, Bill would pert near outdoors said, amen to that, Josh. And, uh, uh, they said great podcast. So Tony, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys. Well, have a good one, Tony. And, uh, I'll, I, you got my number. I'll be in touch. I sent you a picture of that, that deer that was hit by a car. So yeah, check that one out. So I'll check it out. All right, Tony, have a good night, buddy. All right, thanks guys. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you again, Tony, so much for coming on. Definitely check out our antlerupoutdoors.com, our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. We appreciate all the support. We have some cool things coming out to you later on this spring, beginning of summer. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, go over to whatever platform you listen to, either Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, whatever. If you're able to leave a review, we greatly appreciate that. Again, everybody, thank you so much. Antler up.